trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. Yep, let's dive right in. Let's revel in some wrong thinking. And strangely, the times that we live in make that easier than ever. It's not like you need to go to school. You don't need any kind of formal instruction or training. You want to be a wrong thinker? Here's all you have to do. Be willing to question the 3 by 5 index card of allowable opinion. By the way, nobody explains that 3 by 5 index card better than Tom Woods. I think he's the one who came up with the example of, you know, these are the things you're allowed to discuss. But uh, we regularly delve into topics that, uh, I don't know, for more legitimate sources, uh, would, would be considered forbidden. But I guess it, it comes down to motive. Why would we do such a thing? Why would we waste our time, you know, chasing after, you know, information on this or that or the other thing? And I think it really comes down to, look, I just want to understand the world that I live in. I want to have uh, as clear a view as I can get with the understanding that I can't know everything that's going on. And for some people, that's really uh, that's a bitter thing to swallow is the idea that, no, you really can't. Ah, well, we got the Internet, Brian. I got this smartphone right here in my hand. I can know everything. No, you really can't. And here's here's where it breaks down. What you know about the world more often than not, and this is true for me as well, comes to us via somebody else telling us. In other words, we don't go out there. We don't handle or vet the evidence ourselves. We don't do all the fact checking ourselves. Now, I'm speaking generally. Some people are, in fact, you know, inveterate uh, f- fact checkers. That is what they do. That's what they live for. It's, it's almost an obsession. And I'm grateful for those individuals. Not so they can tell me what to think, but so that I can learn from them. How do you get your information? Where do you go? How do you find corroborating sources? Or, or even more importantly, how do, you, uh, how do you handle it when you encounter something that causes you to uh, and when you encounter new truth that causes you to have to adjust how you see the world because that's the real test i think it was winston churchill who, who said something along the lines of you know uh, most people who stumble across the truth aren't glad that they stumbled across the truth instead they pick themselves up dust themselves off look around to see if anybody was watching and then hurry on their way it's embarrassing right because it, it, it means that at some level we were wrong before But that whole thing gets a lot easier if you just start from the premise of, I don't know everything. And for that matter, I don't have to know everything. If there's something that really, truly interests me, if there's something that that is of importance to me or is a priority, yes, I will devote as much time and attention as necessary to get my mind around that issue to the, to the point where I feel like I understand it, or at least I understand, you know, the, the basics. And I may have to, you know, lean on people who know it better than I do, which, which is great. I'm glad that such resources exist. But particularly, I'm going to be looking for people who are willing to share what they know without attaching a particular agenda to it. And that's pretty tough to find. 
And right now, unfortunately, we we don't have a lot of great resources in terms of the mass media. In fact, you know, it's, I've had people ask me, do you have a beef with the with the heritage media or something? Uh, to the extent that uh, that they are keeping people from seeing things clearly. Yes, I do. I, I have a problem with it in the sense that um, there there's an attitude, a, a smugness of, well, you know, we are here to tell you what to think we are here to to tell you how to feel about whatever it is you're thinking about and to me that seems not only patronizing but actually dangerous because so often whatever narrative they happen to be supporting is usually incomplete now if you're brian are you calling them liars are you saying that they're liars and deceivers some perhaps i don't think that everybody is But if someone is only giving you just enough information to lead you to a conclusion they want to lead you to, as opposed to giving you information that you can then start following to uh, to make better informed decisions and come to your own conclusions. Can you see the difference? One of those is intended to control you or maybe a better way would be to, to say it would be to contain you, keep you within these ideological corral walls so that you don't go wandering, you know, and hurt yourself. The other is encouraging you, go ahead, ask questions, explore, see what it's all about. And don't be afraid, you know, to to ask questions that are inconvenient or that challenge the prevailing narrative. Look, the times that we live in are, you know, unsettling, to put it mildly. Some people are on the verge of panic. And, and I've talked to more people who are just, uh, they sense that uh, we're, we're like a top that's wobbling. And, and, you know, as a top stops spinning, it has moments where it kind of starts to wobble and then it'll kind of right itself and spin smoothly for a moment. And then it wobbles off as, as the entropy takes over. I feel like that's, that's kind of our world right now. And it's unnerving because it, it, there, there's not a lot of stuff that's predictable. There are some pretty interesting consequences that could follow. It leaves all of us with a, with a few question marks hanging over our heads, maybe more than a few, depending on, on what your worldview is. So for what it's worth, and just purely as, as a thought starter, not as a hard declaration, you have to believe this or, you know, you're not as smart as me. But I think what we have seen in the past year would cause most thinking people to question whether there really is such a thing as rule of law in this country, whether there really is such a thing as freedom of speech, whether there really are honest, transparent elections, whether we still have freedom of assembly, whether free markets are a thing or if it's all being manipulated at one level or another. And I want you to notice, I'm not, I'm not saying definitively all of these things are gone. They're all dead. But I've certainly seen enough things in this last year to cause me to question, wow, is that thing really as solid or is it as, as secure as I was led to believe it is? You know, and I, I consider myself somewhat experienced in, in being able to process, you know, uh, information that that would would cause cognitive dissonance and actually it did cause cognitive dissonance for me when i first encountered it 
And so I'm kind of I'm kind of used to it in the sense that it doesn't shock me into, oh, wow, I have to requ- I have to rethink everything that I've thought about, uh, you know, this particular issue or this particular item. But even so, I, I don't find it pleasant. I don't think it's pleasant to, to consider the possibility. What if what if the elites within the financial world and their cronies in government what if they really were working together, manipulating the financial markets for one another's mutual benefit and at the expense of the little people? That's you and me. What if? What if those who uh, control, you know, the, the, the big tech companies, the social media platforms, what if they were working in conjunction, again, with their political cronies to make sure that unapproved viewpoints were very, very difficult to find. Would it change anything? Would it cause you to, to uh, alter the way that you seek out information? Or would you shrug your shoulders and just go back to watching, you know, Dancing with the Stars or, or whatever, you know, happens to be on TV at the moment? What if those in power were so happy with the arrangement that they have set up in all these various areas that uh, they were able to manipulate the system. And by the way, I'll, I'll just come right out and say it. I have said for many years, your vote really doesn't matter as much as you think it does. I don't know who said it first. If voting really changed anything, they would have outlawed it a long time ago. And I think most people go and cast their vote and they treat this as, you know, this is the sacred sacrament of our civic religion and we will do this, you know, with, with honor and, and we must do this. And they treat it as if it's the most important thing they could possibly do. But I think we've just had a pretty good glimpse into. But what happens if the people who control uh, not just the political system itself, but those who control the systems that uh, that tabulate those votes were able to manipulate things? And again, I'm just asking, what if what if they were able to manipulate things to where the outcome always was in their favor? Now, I've actually maintained for a long time it's been in their favor. It's been rigged for a long time, not so much because there was a voter fraud, but simply because your choices were limited to, hey, you can have establishment candidate A or you can have establishment candidate B. Two wings of the same beastly bird, (laughs) but we're supposed to pretend like there's this big substantive difference. The bottom line is big government still maintains legitimacy and power over you, and you get to feel like I've done my civic duty. Well, if I haven't scared you off yet, if you're willing to ask a few more tough questions, hang with me. We've got some great stuff to cover in the remaining segments this hour. We'll get back to it right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like Monticello College and also Alta Bank. And also Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. You know, if you're a business owner, you have to wear a lot of different hats. And one of those is the one that says insurance expert. Well, the problem is you probably aren't an insurance expert. And this is where Landmark comes in. Insurance uh, salesman, you know, it brings up the images of uh, Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. 
Remember the guy always trying to sell just one more life insurance policy. But when it comes to business insurance, what you need is a trusted advisor that can help you manage the risk to the business that you worked so hard to build. And that's where I'm going to recommend you contact my friends at Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. Go to the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, right there in the sponsor links at the bottom of the show notes. Today is January 29th, 2021. You'll find a link that will put you in touch with my friends at Landmark. And be sure to tell them thank you for being a sponsor of this program. Well, let's dive in. If you're still sticking, if I haven't scared you away yet, if this hasn't proven too radical, and by the way, if it does, if you feel like I, you know what, I, this is just too much, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else, I'm not going to laugh at you, oh, go to your safe space. No, that's okay. Um, not everybody is ready to, to hear, you know, the message that, that I'm sharing. And it's not because they're dumb and it's not because they're too immature to handle it. It's just... They're just not ready. Everybody is at some some place on that pathway out of the swamp of misinformation trying to figure out what's going on. And if it's too much, that's OK. That's OK. There are people who are looking for it. And if you're, you're still with me, then I assume you're one of those people. So let's get after it. One thing that we can be grateful for is that the cat is out of the bag in the sense that uh, for people who are willing to face an unpleasant truth, it's pretty clear that to the American Republic, the America that we loved, has morphed into an oligarchy. And it has different facets to this oligarchy, but um, it, it's pretty clear that there is one system of, of rules for those in power, and there's another for those who are not. And Paul Rosenberg has a really fascinating perspective on how the Wall Street complex portion of this oligarchy has managed to create a new type of revolutionary. This is what we've seen playing out here in the last few days. He says, as I write this, the Wall Street complex is creating a new group of radicals, a potent new group of radicals. Now, he says, by now, you probably know the outline of the story. A large number of young people, many of them locked out of work, used their time to poke around the stock market looking for opportunities, something that micro trading apps, stimulus checks and the Internet made possible or practical. Rather, soon enough, they discovered hedge funds doing the nasty things that hedge funds do and, that, and turned their game back on them. And they crashed at least one of them. Now, he says, bear in mind, this was done by the rules, except that the big unwritten rule was violated, which is we're powerful and you're not. So the Security and Exchange Commission, the people who investigated Bernie Madoff three times and found nothing, stepped in to do what it does, which is to protect the overlords. They issued behind the scenes orders, stopped the upstarts and saved their friends, and a day later issued statements meant to make it all look OK and convince the 401 class everything is well. What they really did was expose their true purpose to protect the overlords and to BS the rubes. Now, he includes a couple of posts here in this in this post, and I've got a link to this in the show notes. He says, I want you to see what these young traders are saying, because you probably won't see much of this in the news. So he says, please read them carefully. And so I present to you a new group of radicals, says Paul Rosenberg. They are your niece, your nephew, your brother and sister. They're the man at the coffee shop, the mom struggling to survive. They know they've been dealt a rotten hand. Now they know the overlords won't allow them to win. And they're pissed. 
So this is this is the uh, I think the, I think we've got these in, in reverse order the way he's got them posted. So I'm going to start with this one. But this was a post from somebody on the Reddit Wall Street bets page. A message to everyone on Wall Street from somebody with nothing to lose. You only think you're in control. And the person writing this says, look, you're trying to scare us into selling. It won't work. Let me explain why. I grew up poor. I grew up on the poor side of town. I remember my parents struggling with money for years. Crappy cars, crappy clothes, never owned any video game consoles because not only did my parents not approve of them, they couldn't afford them. Ramen was a staple at home. I still eat it to this day. Pro tip you can have for the future. A slice of cheese and a whisked egg in your ramen can make it way better than just seasoning alone. This person says, I've been broke almost my entire life. I've never had more than $9,000 liquid at one time. I've been nearly homeless too many times to count. I'm an expert at thrift thrift store shopping. I've worked 50, 60, 70, 80, even 90 hour weeks at crap jobs since I started working at 18. I've never stolen. My parents raised me to be honest and a good person and a hard worker, and that's just who I am. I've struggled and have always dealt with debt, and I've lived basically paycheck to paycheck for my entire adult life. If you think the prospect of losing a few hundred dollars I have in GameStop stocks is going to scare me into selling before Friday, you couldn't be more wrong. When you only ever average like $1,000 in your checking account, what's the difference when it's $100 or $10? Do you have any idea how many times I've been there before? You know what I do when I'm completely effing broke? I literally shrug my shoulders and play some video games or music until my next paycheck, and I'll do it again. I'm not here to get rich overnight, and I don't have enough to invest to make that happen. I'm here to say F you and to be a part of this moment, this movement. I will never sell. Never. I don't even care about the money at at this point. If I never see it again, it makes no difference to me. I have to go right back to work tomorrow and the next day and the next week and next month and next year. There isn't a single thing you can say or do to change my position. I risk my money happily. I'm not the least bit scared or worried. You might be a financial expert. I am a survival master. Power to the people. I will not sell. Now, to, to dumb it down again, so even a guy like I can understand it. So these, these hedge funds borrowed stocks that they knew they would have to buy back. They borrowed stocks that didn't belong to them and sold them thinking, yes, yes, the price is going to be going down. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be making money on this. But Reddit and, and a whole bunch of people who got a fire under their tails bought up these stocks, took the price through the roof. By the way, I don't know if this is the true price. I heard that, uh, that the price that, uh, that they, they finally froze these stocks at for GameStop, I mean, they, they were like $5 stocks starting out here. Uh, now the, the price is somewhere up around $420.69. You can read whatever joke you wanted to, but Reddit was never, you know, never claimed to be a, a paragon of culture. Four twenty sixty nine, dude. <laughs> but if that's the case, those hedge funds still have to buy those stocks back. They have to do it. And they're trying to change the rules of the game. I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of different uh, stories. I haven't corroborated this, so take it with a grain of salt. Citadel which is one of the big financial movers and shakers, um, called in favors and said, hey, 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 
Robinhood. That's the app that uh, these these uh, small time traders were using to buy up these stocks of GameShare. They they were like, you got to stop this. There was also apparently a call from the White House. And and I guess the thing that we have to understand here is it's not just Wall Street that is concerned about this. I mean, this is the the people, the little people have struck a blow that even the mega wealthy are going, whoa, whoa, they can't do that. We can, but they shouldn't be able to. And so I'm hearing rumors and I've seen, I saw a story today. Um, in fact, it was, this was, and this is from a you know fairly credible MSM source, KSL in Salt Lake City, saying that, uh, yes, uh, the SEC says we're actually looking into whether or not there was criminal activity involved in these people buying up all this stuff. Look, they did it by the rules. Oh, if they go after these people criminally, pray that you're one of the people who gets to sit on that jury. Crazy stuff is happening. I don't pretend to know where it's all going to lead, but uh, I can say this. Pay attention. (laughs) Things are shifting around us as we watch. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Oh, man, I don't know what I would do without the Babylon Bee. They just simply have the best headlines ever. And I've got ju- I got to double check. This one literally just landed in my email inbox. Uh, yep, that's the Babylon Bee. I knew it. Here's the headline. New SEC rule. Wall Street will now only allow traders who wear a top hat and and monocle and carry around giant bags of money. (laughs) Oh, man. I just, you know, I love the I love the Babylon Bee. Laughter really is the best medicine. And when you're facing things like this, where you don't really have a lot of uh, control over it. In fact, you really have. Uh, well, apparently we have more control than we thought. Thank you, Reddit uh, subgroup, but uh, or subreddit. But um, for the most part, we got to find a different way. And, and before I go too much further, I'm just going to tell you right now, I do not hold out hope that if we just try harder and just elect harder and just do, you know do do more to get involved politically, that it's going to change things. And now that doesn't mean that I'm telling you, don't you dare do that. I'm just saying from my vantage point, what I see happening here is um, it's going to have to be something a lot more individual. And and the best advice that I have seen thus far, and and I'm open to any better advice or new truth that would would cause me to to reevaluate whether this is the best approach. Is you have. okay? let me put it this way. I am choosing. You don't have to do anything, but I am choosing to do what I can to make myself an unplayable piece on that big chessboard. Does that make sense? I'm not going to run with the crowd. I'm trying to find ways to exert my own self-sufficiency to provide for my family and myself. And by the way, this may mean very well that uh, I have to downshift a little bit in my lifestyle. I'm not going to be living large, but we're living in a fourth turning. You've heard me talk about fourth turning historical cycles before. And if there is any lesson that I took away from that remarkable book by historians Strauss and Howe, it was this. You cannot live the same way 
in a fourth turning as you lived in a first, second, or third turning. It's like different seasons of the year. You would not go out at Christmas time, you know, in the northern hemisphere wearing a T-shirt and flip-flops. You just don't do that. So we're living in a time where um, there's a lot of stuff that's shifting around. And, and in this case, uh, I'm just looking for all those little ways, and I, and I work on this tirelessly, day by day, finding ways to extract myself from government power, to separate myself from those places where government has any power or influence in my life. Now, for, for some people, I'm sure you're, looking, you're, you're just nodding, yeah, okay, well, no, that, that actually makes sense. Because we're talking about a, a perfectly peaceful activity. All I'm doing is withdrawing my consent and just becoming an unplayable piece. But for some people, what I've just described sounds nothing short of criminal. How dare you? How could you possibly not be a part of this great society? And other, how could you possibly not conform like the rest of us? And sadly, that is one of the prices that you pay when it comes to if you're if like me, you decide, OK, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to use the word secession, even though I know this is going to cause a knee jerk reaction for some people. I choose to secede at a personal level in every way that I possibly can from a system that I don't believe has my best interests or my family's best interests at heart. I think it's the right thing to do. And I think that uh, it's it's going to be important to to connect with other like-minded people. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lone wolf McQuaid my way through this thing. But I'm also not going to voluntarily put myself deeper and deeper in thrall to that system. And so, well, there, there are people who are going to, well, let's see what we can do. What, what can we do to save the Republican Party? I mean, I don't want to sound callous, but I don't care what happens to the Republican Party. There was a time when I put my faith in them. You know, there was a time when I saw things as a child. As the Apostle Paul says, I no longer see things as a child. Now I see things as an adult and I put childish things behind me. And that for me, that's kind of how I look at politics. I consider myself more of a political agnostic than anything. But the one thing I'm absolutely 100 percent committed to is I want to uphold True principles, and I'm talking for everybody, not just for me. I want to uphold true principles of liberty, free markets, real free markets, not, you know, government managed and and manipulated free markets. I want to uphold the, the sanctity of everyone's natural rights, meaning we don't infringe on one another's rights. If we don't agree on something, we try to persuade, but we don't resort to force to try to get people to do what we think is best for them. And I've actually had some practice at this now for a while, so it doesn't feel as awkward as it once did. I'm not there yet, but uh, the, the little tyrant inside me has had a pretty rough time here for the last few years. <laughs> he doesn't get to see a whole lot of daylight, and I like it that way. My life is happier. My mind is more at ease. My heart is peaceful. Because I'm not concerned about trying to control everybody else and getting everybody else to do what I think they ought to do. I'm confident that uh, this is a message that, uh, that the masses probably don't want to hear. They'd rather get checks with their names on them, right? You know, they're, <laughs> they're interested in other things that, that, uh, that they think matters more. 
but I'm also absolutely convinced there is uh, I'll use the word remnant because I believe this applies and this, you know, you go back to the story of Isaiah in the Bible. Um, that's who he was supposed to talk to was the remnant. And I think there's a remnant of people who, who likewise get that same sense of, I just want the truth. I want to live my life in accordance with truth. I want to live it in accordance with the, the purposes for which I believe God created me. And I believe one of those purposes, by the way, was to be free. Because that's where your greatest growth and your greatest potential can be realized. And I don't know who this remnant is. Once in a while, I'll be out and about or I'll, I'll run into somebody or, you know, someone will send me a message out of the blue and say, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. Or this thing that you shared, this article really was helpful. But for the most part, I'm just putting it out there. I'm doing what I can to speak the truth. And it's often not even my own truth. I'm, I'm speaking what I believe when, when there are great voices out there and there are so many that are likewise doing this. And when I can share those as resources for those people in that remnant who are looking for truth and who value it above all else, they value it above the acceptance and the accolades of the crowd. It doesn't matter to me how many people are in that audience. What matters to me is that I am doing my level best to get that message to them and what they do with it from, from there on. It's, it's up to them. You know, in Isaiah's case, he was told, God told him, look, you're going to go and you're going to preach to the people. And by the way, there's an excellent, excellent essay on this by Albert J. Nock. It's called Isaiah's Job. I'll see if I can find a copy of it. And, and if I can, I'll put it in the show notes at the Brian dot com. Um, this is this is such a great story. Isaiah was told, hey, you need to go call Israel to repentance. Like God told him, this is the story from the Bible. God told him, go tell these people to shape up and, and fly right. And if they don't, they're going to be in big trouble. And Isaiah was like, okay, you know, I'll do it. And the Lord said, now, there, there is one more thing. You're going to tell these people the truth and they're going to hate you. They're going to try to kill you. They are not going to listen to what you have to say. In fact, what they're going to do is uh, they're going to spit on whatever you just offered them, and then they're going to run this thing into the ground. At which point Isaiah has to be wondering, well, why, why exactly do I need to be speaking to him? Why, why waste their time? Why waste my time? And the Lord tells him there is a remnant that you don't know about. They are the ones who will rebuild after the rest of the masses run everything into the ground. And that's who you're speaking to. You are giving them encouragement. You are giving them hope. And you are reminding them that there are things that, that matter more than whatever the masses happen to be chasing at that moment. So that's the approach that, I, that I'm taking. I honestly don't know, you know, how many people are listening. And, and I don't want to sound callous when I say this or flippant, but it doesn't matter that much to me. Because the people who are hearing this program, the people who are, are tuned into the networks and, and the radio stations and the platforms that carry this program or this podcast, they know who they are. They know what they stand for. And I can't explain it. I mean, it's, this sounds really metaphysical, but in my heart, I know that I'm, I'm sharing the stuff I'm supposed to share. And every once in a while... Just like a, just like finding a little gold nugget in a in a stream, someone will reach out and say, "Hey, thanks. That really was helpful." 
But even if it's just that one person, I still think this is the right thing to do. And I thank you for being a part of that audience. Stick around. we got some more great stuff coming up in the final segment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, I spent too much time monologuing in the last segment. I've got three quick articles I want to touch on. All of them are found in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. By the way, Brian is spelled with a Y, as is Hyde. I got a lot of great reading material there and some great resources for wrong thinkers like you if you are interested. In fact, uh, just with today's show notes, you could spend a lot of time, uh, you know, over the weekend building your understanding of the world around us. One of the articles that I have included is one by Dan Mitchell on coronavirus and federalism. And I know we hear the word federalism, and I have to admit, I was guilty of this for the longest time. Federalism to me meant, oh, that uh, refers to the federal supremacy of the federal government and how it can tell the states what to do. Nope, <laughs> that's not what it means. Federalism, of course, is the uh, division of power, the uh, separation of power, if you will, on uh, on a couple of different axes, horizontally as well as vertically. But uh, it's it's that uh, breaking up of power and separation of power between all the various states and under the federalist system, which is the system that the founders gave us. The states had vastly more authority than the federal government, except in a very small area in which they had common interests, foreign policy, this kind of thing, defending the, the coastlines and so forth. Everything else was left up to the states and the people. In other words, the, the governance decisions were supposed to be made closer to home. It's a good system. And coronavirus, according to Dan Mitchell, actually is showing us the 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 efficacy of that system, especially when you look at the federal government's uh, incompetent response to the pandemic. He says, I'm an even bigger fan of federalism today. It's kind of fallen out of favor. And in fact, federalism may have suffered a near fatal blow. Oh, I don't know, around 1865 ish with, with another deadly blow being dealt in the 17th amendment back in uh, 1913. Now, this doesn't mean that the states are necessarily the paragons of efficiency and competence, says Dan Mitchell. And he has a nice map here that shows, uh, this is from the New York Times, showing the percent of each state's population that has received at least one shot of the vaccine. And it's curious, he says, how is it that Oklahoma is doing so much better than Kansas? And why is West Virginia so far ahead of Pennsylvania? And part of the answer to this question is whether these states were willing to let Washington, D.C. micromanage their delivery. So he says, yeah, some states might bungle the process as we're seeing, you know, in some poorly governed jurisdictions like New York and California, the way they handled the coronavirus response, ugly. And, and they, they have the, you know, the deaths and, and the aftermath to prove that. But he says a big advantage of federalism is that residents might learn from the superior performance of other states that they need better quality elected officials. Sometimes people will just get up and move, which, by the way, is happening in a huge way out west where I live. 
holy cow, people are leaving California by droves and traveling to other states that they feel are better managed. So that is in the show notes. I would encourage you to take a look at it. There's another terrific article here. This is from Mike Meharry at the 10th Amendment Center. Uh, Mike Meharry is a phenomenal writer, very principled, very informative. And this is about how Nixon closed the gold window. Do you realize that was 50 years ago? It was 1971. President Richard Nixon severed America's last tie to the gold standard. And since that time, the most obvious result and consequence has been an enormous national debt that continues to grow at a staggering pace. He says most people don't realize it, but this is a direct and intentional result of the current fiat money system. So all this stimulus spending, all of these bailouts, all of the uh, huge trillion dollar government spending bills can be traced back to where where did they really go off the rails well if you look at the charts that he includes with this article it's very clear from about 1971 on that spending has gone up and up and up the total federal debt in fact it's it's on a near vertical climb right now no big surprise there right And part of this is because before 1971, there was a natural limit to how much money could be printed. New issuances were dependent on the amount of gold sitting in the nation's coffers. But today, with the dollar backed not by a hard asset, but by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, the federal debt is closing in on an astronomical $28 trillion. That's more than 130% the size of the U.S. economy. And as Mike Meharry says, this is clearly unsustainable. But the U.S. isn't about to go back onto a gold standard. And Joe Biden isn't about to rein in the spending. In fact, he's almost certainly going to ramp it up. So what little fiscal restraint that existed has been washed away in the tidal wave of the coronavirus pandemic. So what's his point? Well, Mike Meharry says this is not good for the future of the U.S. economy. At some point, the money printing game will come to its inevitable end. As Peter Schiff has been warning, the inflation monster will take over. The dollar will crash. And his point here is that's why it's a good idea to own gold. He has a quote here from, uh, I don't know who Holmes is. I'm sorry, I, I missed I missed this person's first name here. But for now, we're left with the current monetary system of unlimited money printing, which in turn makes each U.S. dollar less valuable and each each ounce of gold more valuable. Now, I'm not telling you, boy, you should just get into precious metals and let her ride. But I think you can probably, if you know anything about monetary policy, you probably can understand most of the money, such as we call it today, exists in the form of electrons in a computer somewhere. There is no tangible, valuable item that backs it. So it's, it's worth something as long as we believe that it is. And I don't know about you, but uh, our belief in a lot of things has been shaken here of late. So it stands to reason we could probably see some things shaking our belief in that monetary system. And when that happens, you know, that's, that's when you hear the proverbial wheelbarrows full of, you know, banknotes. And people steal the wheelbarrow because it's of greater use than all the paper contained in there. I'm not telling you go buy gold and silver, but I'm going to tell you that I, I become kind of a believer in wealth is what remains when your cash flow stops. And let's just say hypothetically that you were um, 
you were unable to access your bank account. So even all those little electrons that represent your money in the bank, suddenly if they're not accessible, how much money do you have? Well, I've got millions. Really? Where? Well, they're, uh, they're all in the computer somewhere. So I, I believe that uh, tangible goods that have value, and that could include precious metals, it could include um, seeds, tools, land, you know, commodities, ammo. Holy cow. I think people who invested in ammo actually are probably doing better than the ones who invested in other precious metals. Nonetheless, might not be a bad idea to, to think in those terms of if I had to put up a store of value that wasn't just electrons in, in the bank, what would it be? I'll let you come to that conclusion. Maybe something you want to do a little bit of research on. All right, one final note, and and I just I become a huge fan of uh, JD Tusil, who writes for Reason dot com. Um, this is an article about Americans abandoning free speech. Better brace for the consequences. I'm not going to go deep into this right now, but I will tell you he makes a very powerful case that government will happily suppress misinformation in favor of mis- misinformation of its own. So for those people who are clamoring for, you know, we need to crack down on people who share fake news or false information or incomplete information. Why, the government ought to be able to crack down on them and they should make them pay and rah, rah, rah. If you're setting it up to where you are willing to censor some people because you don't like what they have to say. Don't be surprised when uh, that misinformation is a place is replaced with official misinformation. Bottom line is you got to, you have got to be willing to propaganda proof yourself. The best way that I know to do that is to whatever whatever your current reading level is, however many books you find yourself reading, you know, in the course of a month or a year. It's time to uh, challenge yourself. It's time to to start reading things that are above your head. And it's not a matter of I've just got to memorize all this information, then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kill it on Jeopardy. And I'm going to I'm going to know all the answers to every question that comes before me. That's not the point. It isn't about having all that information in your head. So you have the the right answer every time a question is raised. It's more a matter of learning how to organize your thinking and how to seek truth in ways that you know the right questions to ask when someone's trying to bamboozle you. If you're serious about becoming a propaganda-proof person, that's the best recommendation I can make is make more time for reading. I know, the Super Bowl's coming up, right? A lot of good games and stuff on TV. Maybe we should ditch the man cave and uh, bring back the study. I mean, it's it's a concept worth considering. This is The Brian Hyde Show.